here on the Hot Show Podcast. Hello there. I'm Chris. Gabby's here too, and we're both freezing. <laughs> well, because here in the uh, the northeast part of the country, depending on where you live, your results may vary. Uh, but it went from, I swear to God, am I right, Gab? It went from 70, 75 all of last week into the weekend. And then just like that, like somebody threw a switch or something, it's winter time here. It feel it's cold, it's blustery, it's just disgusting, you know. It, Absolutely, I am traveling this weekend, and we were looking up the temperature for where we were going, thinking that maybe we could get a run in somewhere. And the high on Saturday is thirty. Huh. Now yeah. I have to ask, where are you going? Beginning the Thanksgiving trek of heading out to see uh, parents in the other side of Pennsylvania, and then down to the warm beach. So. Okay. I, I gotcha. All right. Well, <clears throat> I guess you have to go. You've got a significant other whose parents unfortunately live on the other side of Pennsylvania, <laughs> which it's probably under a foot of snow already. <laughs> oh, no, don't snow. say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how that lake effect thing happens. Anyway, coming up uh, this week, you're going to hear in a little bit, uh, I'll be talking to another uh, female broadcaster that I've admired for a long time. Uh, although I've never worked directly with her, she did hire me part-time when I was out of work. So uh, she gave me a real lifeline there. Charlie Max is coming up after a quick break here on the Encore podcast. I always get to talk to people that are interesting in one way or another, but Here's another one of those people that not only interests me, but I like her an awful lot, <laughs> have for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, I always wanted to do a morning radio show with this woman, but never got the opportunity for one reason or another. As a matter of fact, the only time we ever worked at the same radio station at the same time <laughs> was when she hired me part-time uh, at a station in Wilmington, Delaware that she was uh, programming. Charlie Max is our guest this week. Hey, Charlie, good to see you. Hi, Chris. It's good to see you. And that was the smartest decision I have ever made when it comes to hiring. I was brilliant <laughs> on my part. I was like, wait a minute, a very talented man who knows radio, knows the city we're in, is passionate about it. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Charlie. You did. That was, I consider that to be a lifeline that you threw me there because I was in between jobs and uh, I wasn't getting anybody who was willing to hire me at the time, except for you. And I, and I thank you very much. You made room for me there on the radio station down in Wilmington. Thank anyway, you for bringing your talents to us. I appreciate oh, you. Are you kidding? My pleasure. You're one of those people that did things in radio that I never, ever wanted to do. And that was get into the management side of things. You know, I always wanted to just be that guy on the air. And just solely concentrate on that. But you were a program <laughs> director. You were an assistant program director. You were a production director. You did all those things behind the scenes, too, where you actually had responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it was, people were crazy enough to give them to me. Let me explain it this way, Chris. And first of all, before I start down that road, I do want to return the love fest back to you. I admired your work from years of being in and around the Philly market before I was even on the air in Philly. I was living in South Jersey, listening to you and was always in awe of your ability to connect with the audience and have that engagement. Something that hopefully I picked up some habits from you. And then when I got to work with you, I got to experience that. So thank you for sharing yourself with us all these years on the air. 
Uh, thank you for that. That being said, for me, radio was never about wanting to be a morning person or wanting to be a superstar. Radio to me, uh, growing up, was having that connection with an entity. And for some reason, when I hear a radio station, this is going to sound a little crazy, I hear its personality. And its personality is typically made up with several large personalities that inhabit it. And even everything from the top of the hour sweeper to the beds going into commercials helps grow that personality. And you can feel it. If you listen to a radio station and it doesn't feel like it has personality to you, that program director is disconnected. So when I walked into WJBR, I started as morning co-host. Our program director was uh, ceremoniously brought to the door a few months later and other folks came in uh, to, to interview for the job. And I was like, you know what? I feel the personality of this radio station and I think I can make it come to life. And it's not my personality. My personality was part of it, but I felt the heartbeat of WJBR and I felt that I could bring it to life. And that's the challenge and the excitement to me. It's same thing when I went to WXTU as Raz's APD. When I walked in that building, I felt the personality of XTU. And I hope in the five years that I was there, I helped him achieve that personality and bring it out to our listeners and the audience and have that engagement. And I think all of the good radio stations, the classic ones, NEW in New York, MMR in Philly, uh, even WCAU from back in the day, um, Z100, they all had big personalities. And that's what drove people to, to tune them in. So for me, well, I love music and I obviously love to talk. It really is about bringing uh, life and personality to a signal and then asking everyone to come be part of it. So we've spoken to a lot of people who are radio personalities over the course of the show. And I think or no, I know for a fact, this is the first time that someone has referred to the entirety of the station having a personality. And I think that's just such a great analogy because you have to find all of these pieces that sort of mesh together. It's almost like a, it's almost like a Saturday night live. Like the comedians all have to be right. And, and the best at their jobs to really put on like a whole good show. Is that something that you really thought of like at the beginning of your career or as time went on and you did these different roles of program director and on-air talent that you began to sort of formulate this idea of a personality of a radio uh, station? I think, Gabby, that it's it, it was hand in hand in the sense of as I started my career, I started as an air talent and I learned under whoever I could uh, and I wanted to absorb all aspects of the business. But as I started to get into the positions of music director and then eventually I was the APD and I remember my first PD job, I was young. I'm not going to tell you how old I am because then you'll figure out that I'm a lot older than that now. <laughs> but I remember thinking, am I old enough to do this? And then I remember think, you know, going, okay, but you don't have to be seasoned to appreciate personality. And when I, I got to take over, my first station I ever programmed was a KZFM in Corpus Christi, Texas, a rhythmic radio station. Again, very different heartbeat than other stations I've programmed. But I, I felt its personality and I knew there were going to be people that I needed to be part of that to make that personality come to life. And Chris is an example at JVR. I knew he, as a personality, fit the entire personality of JVR to make it come to life. So that, that was something that I, 
I think I, I recognized early on, like you said, key players really do make the product. Because look, we've watched Saturday Night Live for how many years now? And it's changed drastically from, you know, the days with uh, Belushi and Aykroyd to, you know, Pete Davidson today. But it's always had a personality. It's been very different, but it's always had a certain personality. And I think radio is like that. It evolves as well. It changes. Gabby, I have to say, I never thought of it that way either. Uh, you know, what Charlie said about putting to, uh, together the personality of the radio station and even more so like hearing or knowing what the personality should be, having that in your head and then going ahead and finding the pieces for it. To me, that sounds like actual fun. <laughs> it could be a frustrating process too, but it sounds, how do you go about doing that? How did you go about doing that? Well, it's funny. What's frustrating can be sometimes, Chris, is I know what I need, right? I, I need this. Like, where, where, where do I find that? And then you start to talk to people and you're like, this, this person's a great air talent and, and they're good at what they do, but they're not the part of the personality that I'm missing. Imagine if, if you would, uh, that you had a very jovial, funny, quick-witted, topical uh, guy who hosted Morning Drive, but that every other air talent on the radio station was like that. Mm. It would be like, mm, no, this doesn't work. It's like having dinner and every night everything's orange. It looks pretty on the plate, but you know, carrots and sweet potatoes, like it's just kind of all the same stuff. And it starts to wear on you. What makes it so special is the differences of everybody. And you know, how that jovial, funny, topical pop culture person in Morning Drive uh, complements the steadfast, loyal, and uh, pretty consistent midday girl who is then followed up in the afternoon by the somewhat sarcastic loudmouth woman. I mean, I'm not pointing fingers at myself or anybody, but, you know, it just, it all balances out. So you have to know the personality of the station and then you have to kind of balance it. And there are things, same thing with promotions, you know, um, people will bring promotions to their radio station. They'll be like, we think this is great for JBR. And I would say to the salespeople, it's not, it's not our personality. We will fail at trying to implement this because it does not fit what the expectation from the audience is. And therefore the client will think we've, we don't know what we're doing when in fact we can do a promotion with this client, but it has to fit our personality. And that's not a very popular um, position to take because um, money is money. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's no doesn't mean we're not going to do it. No means we can't do it this way, but let's figure out how it works best for our brand and how this is a win for the client, right? So it comes down to, to recognizing that. And I think as a programmer, you have to choose your personality and then all of it falls into place. Then you find your air talent. Then you find promotions that work for you. Then you find ways to engage with the audience and it clicks. You know, that's uh, probably, I always thought probably one of the toughest jobs of being a program director is running interference with the sales department. <laughs> God bless them. You know, they're, they're the ones who. It's a tough job. It, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because they're bringing in the revenue there, you know, uh, the P the radio station itself is, is the product. That's what they're selling. But oftentimes they'll, as you mentioned already, they'll come to you with something right out of left field that oh, yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. Or let's say like a radio station for XTU, whereas boy, that would have really killed an MMR, for example. Right. right. Oh, why don't you take it down the hall or down right. the street? Uh, right. That's where it'll work. And I'm sure you had to do that numerous times. It sounds to me like 
And, and again, it's not because you don't want the salesperson to be successful or the station to make a profit because that's the goal, obviously. But it's got to it's got to work for everybody, because if we fail on delivering to a client, they won't come back. If we present an expectation to the audience that they don't expect from our brand, they won't come back and it ruins credibility. Mm-hmm. Like, why is X to you giving away salsa dancing as a prize? Like they don't even play that kind of music. It, it's so out of personality that it doesn't make sense. So exactly. <laughs> sometimes you go, maybe we can make it line dancing. That makes sense. You mentioned Pete Davidson uh, when you were talking about SNL, the uh, king of Staten Island. And well, I, you know, I'm a Staten Islander. Did you yeah, know that? I, was gonna, you're, you, I, I see you as the queen of Staten Island. <laughs> And I don't know why Pete Davidson hasn't uh, dated you yet. I guess maybe, maybe <laughs> well, I'm divorced, so I don't know if he knows that. He might, he might think that it could be worth his effort. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, Gabby and I were talking about the fact that you're from New York City, Staten Island in particular. And how did you get down to Philadelphia? <laughs> There's an exit off of I-95. <laughs> Have you've ever taken that, Chris? I really uh, set that one up well, didn't I? <laughs> Thank you. Just like we rehearsed. Um, so when I grew up, it was um, the summer that Z100 came on the air. Uh, I was on the beach in New Jersey uh, at the shore at a friend's grandmother's house uh, in Point Pleasant. And I remember listening to the radio thinking, I don't know what is happening right now. All I know is this is what I want to be part of. So, you know, imagine you grow up in New York City, you get to listen to all the great Scott Muni, Z100, Cousin Brucie, name a famous radio person, they were on the air in New York City. I'm like, I want to do that. My parents were like, you're crazy, go to college. And I was like, no, this is what I want to do. Um, So I realized I wasn't going to get to start in New York City. Like, obviously, nobody really does, unless you're Pete Davidson, and I don't have his connections. So I uh, started traveling uh, what I call the radio trail of glory, where you just go where the job is. My first full-time job in radio was in uh, Biddeford, Maine, right outside of Portland uh, by Kennebunkport. And the winters were hard and uh, my apartment was the worst thing ever, but it builds character. And then I moved on. I've, I've lived on every state on the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, I have lived in Texas. I have lived in South Carolina. And then it was out of South Carolina that I ended up here in the Philadelphia area, came to work at FMQB for a little bit, got back on the air. And for the most part, with the exception of the few years I was in um, Wilmington and then in Washington, D.C., I've spent a majority of my adult radio career in Philadelphia. You know, I always said that I would never, ever uproot my family (laughs) and and move for a radio job. How'd that work out for you? Well, it, in a way, it did work out because I didn't really have to uproot anyone but my lovely wife and myself <laughs> uh, because my uh, my two girls were grown and out on their own and oh, that's doing nice. their own thing. But, you know, luckily for me, I was able to, you know, be employed in Philadelphia radio mm-hmm. uh, the entire time that they were kids and going to you know school, going through their school and high school here. Uh, and I admire that uh, because I think that is a, a difficult commitment to make, Chris. Um, I know we did uh, when we started our family. Uh, the goal was to not move them around a whole lot. And both my kids were born in Voorhees, so they're Jerseyites. And then they grew up um, most of their young years here. Then we moved to Washington, D.C. We're there for about seven, eight years. And then we moved back to Philadelphia. So both of them graduated in Delco here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and now they're, you know, 
when I asked them, because they've lived in a couple of different places, and where did you grow up? My eldest will say he grew up in Maryland, which is funny because he only did high school here in Pennsylvania. And my youngest, who was born in New Jersey and then did middle and high school here in Pennsylvania, will say media. So, you know, she she claims Pennsylvania as her own. Neither one of them mentioned Jersey. I'm like, you guys know we lived there and you were both born there. <laughs> but I try to limit, because I do know people in radio, their children are like military uh, children who have moved, you know, every two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was the commitment that we said to each other and to uh, our children when we had them was we weren't going to, uh, we were going to do our best not to do that to them because that's not their decision, you know, to have to move and that's unfair to them. So I think stability wise, they, they have the experience of moving a little bit, but not every two years, thankfully. So I, I'm appreciative of that. Well, you know, in and some, it, in some ways, you know, what you did for them is you, you ensured that they would be able to move around, make new friends, do all, you know, all that kind of thing. You know, I want my kids to be in one place, have, I guess, have one set of friends and yeah. have that same experience that I had growing up mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't come from a military family or, or a radio family for that matter. So I was able to grow up and go to school in one place and have the same set of friends the whole time. But there, uh, there's pluses on the other side as well. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can definitely see that. Speaking of your kids, Talk about them a little bit. Well, yeah, like, of course, what I would they, love what to. They do? I know you would, Mom. <laughs> they're they're wonderful, and despite my best efforts, they're beautiful human beings. <laughs> they are um, good, and that's my proudest achievement, Chris. All, all kidding aside, I have a lot of professional successes that I'm proud of, but my proudest achievements are the two humans that I've contributed to the world because they are good people. And that's saying something in this world that that we grew up in. So uh, my oldest, Dylan, we call him DJ, um, is an actor, and he's performed in many plays here in the Philadelphia area. As a matter of fact, over the summer, he wrapped up a run at the Delaware um, Theater Company in Wilmington uh, doing Neil Simon's uh, book, um, Brighton Beach Memoirs. He played the lead. He was Eugene. Uh, and he's getting ready to open up uh, at a play in the Uptown Canary Theater in Westchester for the holiday season. He is Michael the Archangel. Uh, it's a comedy as well. He is a very good actor. And I say that it is as his mom. And I know it doesn't seem objective, but um, first time <laughs> I saw him professionally, I could not believe it was my son. And I said, that's the biggest trick. I forgot for a minute that I gave birth to that human being on the stage. And he convinced me he was the character. So uh, he's very good at what he does. And I'm proud of him. And then I have a daughter. Her name is Melody. And she is um, in college at uh, Ramapo College of New Jersey. And she's studying psychology because uh, she was born of two radio parents. So clearly that needed to be the road that she walked down because um, her dad and I both in radio all these years. So poor thing. Uh, but she's doing well, getting ready to graduate in December. She is um, a college athlete. She's played softball. She has a 4.0 GPA her entire college career. So clearly they gave us the wrong kid when we left <laughs> the hospital. Um, but she's doing well. And I'm super proud of both. And again, my my crowning achievement is that they're just good human beings. Beyond their talents and their smarts, they are just good people. And I would be their friends if I wasn't their mom. Oh, that's so nice. And I, I think that's the best thing you could say about anybody is I would be your friend if I wasn't your mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's <laughs> Which I say to a lot of people and they look at me strange. They're like, but you're not my mom. 
<laughs> I started off uh, going to going to school for uh, psychology and then realized, no, I probably that I probably really want to do radio. That sounds too stable. Maybe I can find a career yeah. that will keep me on the edge of my seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I was a kid. I was in my early 20s. I had no idea, you know, at the time I had really didn't even think I could ever do radio, to be honest, but I gave it a shot. Now, uh, did you think, Chris, that you would your longevity, by the way, in this career, in this industry, to me, it should be applauded because most people, uh, you talk about moving around every two years, after about three or five years, they can't take it and they're out of it. They're done. They're doing real estate or something. Not that there's anything wrong with those professions, right. but they just give it up because you have to have a thick skin. I think it, uh, the fact that you have been at it, not only successfully, but for as long as you have as successful as you are, is a testament to what you're made of. One of these days, I hope to be you. <laughs> Listen, I think you're doing just fine, just the way you are. <laughs> but no, Charlie, I I think you'll agree that there's a a certain amount of luck involved in someone who has a career that I did. First of all, I was very lucky to spend most of it in my hometown of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I I got hooked up with not only the right radio stations, but the right people who were running them, and. Uh, for some reason, had a fear of firing me until they couldn't hold out. So <laughs> they couldn't hold out anymore and had to do it. But no, I I, I just think I was very lucky uh, to be able to have the kind of career that I did. And uh, moving on to California for the final four years of my career was one of the the most fun things I've ever done in radio. Never ever expecting to do something like that. And this was a time when I was looking for work. And as a matter of fact, I was working for you in mm -hmm. Wilmington at the time. And I just on a whim sent my stuff out to a station in Sacramento, which was a totally different format than I'd ever worked in. But I ran into a really good guy out there who didn't care about that. And just, you know, he liked what he heard in my audition. You fit the personality that he was looking for. Yeah, exactly. That, but because your career has been so long and storied and successful, <laughs> and we're all just uh, looking at you, going, "We want to be just like you." This is I, uh -huh. when I get to the end of what I choose to no longer do radio, not when somebody chooses that decision for me. Mm -hmm. And I love that about your story, Chris, because when when we started working together, it was a circumstance that you did not create right? It was a circumstance that was created for you. Right. But then you and I started working together and it resulted in a circumstance that you did create. And then you got to end your story in this ridiculously crazy business the way you wanted to. And I hope for all of us in this business, we get that opportunity because unfortunately, as I experienced recently, a lot of times decisions are made for us that don't necessarily come as a result of work we've done. And it's very hard to hold that for yourself to say, this wasn't, I wasn't bad at my job. I didn't perform poorly. I didn't make errors. This was a decision that had nothing to do with any of that. It was a decision that was made for me by someone else. You ended your story how you wanted to. And I love that. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, <laughs> there it is luck again. You know, I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Not everybody is. And I hope that you can do But there was courage because you Going out to California is courageous. Leaving the East Coast and Wawa, bless your heart. You <laughs> <laughs> right, Gabby and my lion. Hundred percent. There's no gobbler in California. There is none. There's no hoagie fest. <laughs> there is none. 
Not only that, but Gabby lives in uh, Manhattan. She's in the oh. and so she, you know, she doesn't. You have, have good bagels. Off. Yeah, yes, we have good great, bagels. Though. We we do. We have great bagels, great pizza. But God, I can't tell you how many times on a Sunday I've been like, I just wish there was a Wawa within walking distance because I want a hoagie. I don't want yeah. to go to the bodega and get a sandwich. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, poor Gabby. We'll have to send her some hoagies, Chris. Yeah, it's a godless yeah. country up here. <laughs> Before you came on the show with us, Chris, let me know that you and I have something in common, uh, which is that we both have a love-hate thing uh, with running, to use your <laughs> phrase. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it when I'm doing it, and I hate it all the other times. <laughs> I feel like I'm the exact opposite. Like I get to go home and have a big meal after I'm done, and I really <laughs> love that part. But while I'm running, I'm like, my God, what have I done here? <laughs> that internal dialogue, Gabby, if we could record that internal dialogue while we're running, especially like on the longer races, like during a half marathon, I can solve all of the world's problems. I've got all of the solutions. I can't remember any of it when I'm done, by the way, but as, as I'm running, I'm like, and then we can do this and then we can do that. And I know what else will be great. And then when I'm done, I, it's all gone. It's, I can't remember a blessed thing. And you're right. The eating is the best part after that. You're like, I don't know about you, but after my big race meal afterwards is a bacon cheeseburger. I, I don't care. Cardiologist, be quiet. <laughs> Fine. I just ran 13 miles. Yeah. I want a cheeseburger with bacon on it. Dial it back. To, I've only done a half marathon twice now, so I don't have like a meal. Yeah. Um, but like I, it's just like the carbs. Also like if French fries is an option with the carbs that I'm eating, yes. I'm absolutely having those. Gabby, uh, in your life, French fries should always be an option. If yeah. anybody tells you it's not, they're lying. <laughs> that, it is, what a wonderful motto to live by. I don't have to do a half marathon to have French fries. Always no, 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 yeah. no. That's right. It, they should always be part of your life. It's running is, um, I found it very beneficial mentally. And I mean this in a serious way when I was managing, because there's a lot of things that have to be worked out. And, you know, you can't think when you're working, right? I mean, I know that sounds silly, but you can't problem solve when you're actively working. So when I'm doing the music log, I can't problem solve. But when I'm running, I'm like, you know, Chris McCoy is a great jock and I need somebody, <laughs> I need consistent talent who knows how to do their job, who I don't have to babysit, who isn't going to ask me a thousand questions in a four hour shift. I'm going to call him when I get done. And thank God I remembered at that time. Chris. Um, but true story. I was running the broad street run, which is a big race here in Philadelphia. Gabby, I don't know how familiar you are with that 10 mile race. Okay, great. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. the, it's the most fun race ever, Chris, you it run is. all through South Philly and you get down to the Navy yard and you think it's over and it's not psych. And it's still a couple more miles, but I had put out a memo. This was, a, I was working at WJBR and I was like, Hey, Sunday morning, I'm running broad street. Unless the station is on fire, do not call me. I don't want to hear from anybody. The race should be done sometime around 1030. After that, fine. But if it's between 7 and 1030, because you have to go to the uh, starting line, the whole thing, don't call me. Unless the station is on fire, do not call me. So now I'm running. We're at mile nine. I'm on South Street passing Patterson Avenue. I'm looking at the stadiums, waving. My cell phone starts ringing. And I look down, it says, JBR hotline. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I decline <laughs> the call, decline the call. I have a mile to go to finish this race. It happens again. I'm like, whoever this is, I'm going to kill them. I hit the button and I'm like, hello. And I'm not going to say the person's name because I don't want to. Please tell me it wasn't me, Charlie. Please. It was not you. <laughs> and the person says, hey, Charlie, it's so-and-so. Um, the fire alarm is going off. I want to know what you think I should do. And I go, first of all, 
hang up and get out of the building. Yeah, right. <laughs> Second of all, call 911. And and don't you know, later in the day, the person says to me, your email said, if the building is on fire, call me. And I said, no, my email said, unless the building is on fire, call me. You know, communication is key. I'll just... <laughs> Radio people, you gotta love them. I'm telling you. So, Gabby, when anybody wants to know the craziest race they've ever run, I tell them it's that Broad Street run when JBR's fire alarms went on. And there was, in fact, a fire in the building. I truly admire you for picking up the phone at all. I think I would have just continued to hit decline and been like, I will deal with this in seven to eight minutes, however much longer I have. Uh, see, well, you know what? The biggest thing was it kept interrupting my, my music, which is very important to me when I'm running and I'm right. like, you keep interrupting the song. Like Eminem is telling me to go right. and you keep interrupting me. <laughs> I know my, my like main character syndrome is on. I need to be locked in for the That's next five right. Yeah. Right now I am the bad ass. Can I say yeah. that? Bad ass running woman. Get out of my way. I got Christina Aguilera up next out of the gate after Eminem. There's a little bit of Kanye on here. I don't care what he's saying about anybody. He cross and finish lines <laughs> and the phone's ringing my whole was thrown. <laughs> I know you were saying like recording that internal like monologue as I'm going, yes. but honestly, I don't think people want to hear that because it's really <laughs> just, it's a lot of swear words. And then like, yeah, a lot of bargaining, a, a lot of bargaining. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I make all the deals with yeah. God myself. All right. If you could just get me to the next porta potty, God, I swear <laughs> I'll come to church every Sunday. And then after you pass the porta potty, like I'm good. And then yeah, like, yeah. I was just kidding. Get me to the next oh. one. I don't have to go anymore. Yeah, yeah that's no, fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there is, Chris, have you ever run at all? Yeah, back when I was in my 20s, I was a, a regular runner all the time. Okay. Um, but now that, <laughs> now that I'm no longer in my 20s, you know, I couldn't even do a 10 miler. I'd have to stop at least three times to pee. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. They got porta potties. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it is just a, it, love hate is really the best way to describe it Gabby I think that nails it on the head it's you know you it's a good feeling when you're done but that first mile is the worst mile ever like you it, that first mile will literally indicate how the rest of the run will go um if it's a brutal first mile the next however many you're going to do you know it's it's kind of like walking in the studio I hate to use the analogy because I don't know how uh, much on-air experience you have Gabby but if you walk in and those first couple of breaks are rough, Chris, you know how that kind of dictates how the rest of the show is going to oh, go? Yeah. Yeah. That's running that first mile. If it's yeah. not fun, the rest of the miles are going to not be fun. Yeah. I remember being, you know, if I had a bad break the day before, <laughs> I, it took me half my show to get over that the yeah. next day. So yeah, I totally get that. You know, sp speak, just bringing it back to radio for a minute. We just, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you know, I, I really... Am disgusted with corporate radio these days, mm. and I think they're just absolutely ruining the media. Yeah, I, medium, I should say. And and you are someone who I was so disappointed to learn it was no longer with uh, WXCU, the country station in Philadelphia, because I thought you were such a great fit there, and I just think you bring such great energy and entertainment to radio, which is something obviously it needs. Well, thank and, you. I and, appreciate that. Well, it's true, and. I think you know that it's true because I think you have a lot of confidence in your abilities, obviously. But with all the riffs that have been going on lately in corporate radio and you being one of the uh, the people who uh, just most recently were 
uh, the victim of one of that. How do you, how are you feeling about radio these days? It's it's hard. It it, it kind of is like um, my relationship with running. I have a love hate relationship with it. And I'll tell you why it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. And it's the only job I've ever really had as an adult. I I've filled in the gaps here and there, but it's, it's a great passion of mine. And the reason I got into it was because I wanted to connect with people on a level where we felt, felt things together. It wasn't necessarily that I wanted to play you the latest song from Luke Combs or that I wanted to be the funniest person in the room. Although I typically am. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I wanted to connect with people. I wanted people to feel like they had a relationship with me and that we had a friendship and that they were with somebody that they could trust and that they could um, commiserate with, whether it was my dislike for pumpkin spice in the middle of August, which I know a lot of people connected with, uh, or you know, my experiences with supporting St. Jude, which I have my sweatshirt on today with that, you know, fighting childhood cancer, which matters a lot to me because it's affected me personally. There are ways we all connect in this world. And I don't know what other job is out there that would allow me to connect with people the way radio does. And that's what brought me into that room every day, um, wanting to connect with the audience. You know, that ability to take the radio station to the level where uh, an audience can connect with it. And I felt that Raz and I had a good partnership. He's our program director at WXTU and I was his APD and I did the music with him and we wrote imaging together. And I feel that there was a great uh, we understood each other well. We understood the personality of the radio station. We were able to bring it to life. And there was a great sense of pride when I would turn the radio on and hear that station, even when I wasn't on the air, and hear it come to life and go, that's what the station is supposed to sound like. So yeah, I took it personally when I was asked to leave because I was such a part of that station, not only um, personally in my air shift, but in my my heart and my soul. I put a lot of effort into it. Like I did at most stations I work at. Uh, and when it gets taken away from you, it is, there's grief. I, I'm grieving the loss of being part of that. I'm grieving the loss of no longer being part of the personality of that radio station. And I think listeners associate me with that station now. It was there five years. Same as they associated me with WJBR, which I was at for six years prior. Um, people start to associate you with that um, personality. I'm mad that somebody's corporate lack of judgment, and that's what it is, lack of better judgment or hope for a bigger profit line was more important than delivering the promise you made to your audience, mm. which was, we will be here for you. And this is what we will provide you entertainment and companionship. That wasn't enough. And, and that mattered less than a profit line. And um, anybody who believes that any human being can walk in and do what we do as radio personalities and that we're interchangeable is blind and frankly stupid because not everybody can do this. Amen, sister. I, I totally get that. And, and I understand how you feel. There were two jobs that I held in Philadelphia radio for long periods of time. One was 15 years, one was 13. And when I was let go from each one of those, both of them felt like a divorce to me. Right. And it took me a long time to get over even when I got the second job in Philly, having been, quote unquote, divorced from, <laughs> right. from MGK, I still look back at MGK and thought, oh, I miss you so much. Yes. You know, uh, 
So I, I totally get that. Uh, are you able to listen to XTU or are, are you still in that part? Like, I don't even know if, if you felt that way, but I couldn't listen to my former spouse quote radio yeah, yeah. Station for, for a while. With JBR, it was like that for quite some time. Because remember, Chris, when I inherited that radio station, it was at the bottom of the pile. Mm -hmm. And when I walked away, it was not at the bottom. I, I had a lot of pride that I put into that station. So I felt personally offended by that. And I listened for a long time. Like you said, you know, when you first get divorced, which I, I have been in real life as well as on the radio, um, it, it's very emotional. Everybody's emotions are very raw on the surface at the beginning. And that's how it is when you leave a radio station. So yeah, it probably was about four weeks, three weeks. It's, it's almost about a month now, a little over a month since I left XTU. First couple of weeks, I didn't turn it on. It was too raw. Mm -hmm. It was like, I can't, because, and be, I was so intimate with the station. I scheduled the music. I wrote the imaging, the sweepers you hear, that's my imagination, right? So I can't listen to it. I can't listen to somebody else take my stuff. It's like watching your ex with their new girlfriend, even though you don't love them anymore and you don't want to be with them and it's okay. They need to go on and be happy. You don't want to sit there and watch them go on a romantic date. You're like, okay, that's nice to meet you. But, and that's how it is with radio. When I turn it on and I still hear the imaging that I wrote or, you know, the music scheduling that I created or a promotion that was my idea, that's kind of hard to watch somebody else go and have fun with the stuff that I created. I totally get that. I completely understand. So yeah, it's uh but anyway, what so what are you doing now? What what's uh, <laughs> going on in your life? What is going on in your life, Charlie Max? Well, let's see. Well, I, I would be defunct if I did not mention that I also have another job. I work for Futura Media. I don't know how familiar you are with the company, but they are a phenomenal technology company that creates products that make working in radio significantly easier. Um, and I have been blessed with working for them for the last few years, and they have been so kind to me by keeping me uh, in, embedded in radio. Uh, not only that, but they appreciate my talent, which I, you know, I can't thank them enough for allowing me to have a foot in each world. Um, and they understand why it's important to be on the air and also support what they do. Um, so I work and I oversee the Topic Pulse and Prep Plus services that Futuri offers radio and television stations throughout the country. And by the way, if you need um, any kind of service for your business, uh, radio or television, give me a call. Um, I don't sell. I just, I curate the content, but I'd be more than happy to get you in touch with somebody to get you all set up. We have good stuff. Um, so I'm doing that and I have to kind of sit on my hands, Chris, because um, in the great corporate wisdom that is out there, uh, even though when companies have riffs and, and, cut numbers, they tend to ask you not to work. I don't know why, because you didn't seem deem me important enough to keep, but you won't let me go work somewhere else. I do voice track a little as well. I work for a virtual uh, jock, which Jason Kidd heads up. And I, I voice track a station in Bellingham, Washington, which is on the coast of in Washington, which is a beautiful uh, radio station and beautiful people out there. I've never been personally yet, but I, I would like to visit. Um, but yeah, it's a, that's a AC station, hot AC, and I have fun doing that. Um, but other than that, I, I kind of will sit here and we'll see what develops in Philadelphia. It's a very different world than it was five years ago. I was going to say 10 years ago, but even five years ago, it's, it's changed drastically. Yeah. You know, someone with your talent and your background, I, I would think that you could probably go anywhere. Uh, do you, you want, uh, it sounds to me like you want to stay put. I do. Yeah, I do. I like it here. 
I mean, I keep coming back here. Like I started in Philly. That was my first major market gig. And then I moved to DC and then I came back to Philly. I like it here. This feels like home. Uh, and for a Staten Island girl to say that about Philadelphia, don't tell <laughs> Pete Davidson. Maybe that's why he hasn't called. <laughs> I have to ask, especially since uh, uh, the Phillies were just in the world. Uh, uh, here we go. Not quite as successful as did you grow up a Mets fan by any chance? I did. I, I did. So I, had so, I mean, my God, doesn't this tell you the kind of heartache I'm used to? I chose <laughs> radio as my profession. I've been a Mets fan my entire life. I know what true heartache is. People <laughs> in Philadelphia talk about, they know what it's like to be the underdogs. You don't know. You've never been ahead 11 games with only three weeks left of the season and lose it all. So when the Braves were playing the Mets in that final series at the end of the season this year, he, he set up a game watch in Manhattan and the bar was like, and they had like Mr. Met was there all the all like this there was koozies there was t-shirts there was contests like and everybody in the bar was like so hyped up and then like the game just like was not going well and like my boyfriend was like okay I feel like if anyone should leave it should be you because like it's just you know like it's I like and I didn't say anything because there was a Braves fan in there who's doing the chop every time that they and I I was like come on Matt like come on let's let's not do that you know I've been to the vet in a Mets t-shirt. My daughter was four years old. She had her Mets t-shirt on. I had mine on. This is veteran stadium. And this grown man, grown man, cursed at my four-year-old daughter. Now, let me tell you something. Nothing's going to get the Staten Island out of me more than that. (laughs) I don't think he knew what hit him. I, I turned on him so quickly. My eyes were fire red. I was like, that is a child you were speaking to. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized this was a whole level of different rivalry like i i'm a phillies fan unless they're playing the mets i will support the phillies like i'll go to the games i will cheer them on i got to go on the field this year mm-hmm. uh introduce jaco and that was awesome i yeah. wore my phillies jersey my dad probably rolling in his grave <laughs> um but i couldn't believe the amount of rivalry between mets and phillies fans until i experienced it on the lesser end of it like i've been at shea when other teams are there and i you know the fans give them a hard time, but Philly is, that's a whole nother level. This is a tough town. I will say that people seem to be more civil at Citizens Bank Park than they ever were at the vet. Chris, I, you probably can concur with that opinion, but the vet is a whole nother, like that 700 level. You That's like walking through Alphabet City in Manhattan. It's like they got rid of uh, they got rid of three hundred <laughs> levels and a bunch of attitude. <laughs> like it's like really the difference between the two parks. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. The vet was scary. CBP yes. is a little more uh, uh, civilized. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I'll agree with that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hey, but uh, I will tell you that Staten Island and New York are very uh, not Staten Island, um, New York and Philadelphia. I meant to say uh, have that um, passion that I think. And that's what it is. It's just really passion. There's not a whole lot of differences. Uh, you know, South Philly and Brooklyn. I grew, you know, I was born in Brooklyn. My grandparents live there, and I see a lot of that in South Philadelphia. It's that passionate. We, this is where we're from. Everybody else better watch out. Attitude, and I love it. I think that's why I like it here, and why I want to stay. And I, and and I've been welcomed as one, so I appreciate it. Just to underscore what you said, Charlie, about uh, New York and Philadelphia and the fans here being passionate. Mm -hmm. uh, A a few years ago, my son-in-law and his dad, who are uh, Minnesota Vikings fans, we all went to the Eagles Vikings game (laughs) at Lincoln Financial Field and the uh, Eagles won. They blew them out. 
And coming out, of course, uh, my son-in-law and his dad were wearing Vikings uh, jerseys. Yeah. And, you know, the fan, the Eagles fans are going, you suck, you <laughs> suck, Vikings. And I'm, and I said to one of them, I said, you know, we won. What yeah. is this all yeah. about? We won. Yeah. You know, yeah. Can't we, can't <laughs> no. we all just nope. get along? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> no, they did the school chant on the Rocky Steps. We can't all get along. They started this <laughs> and they weren't prepared to finish it. And that's all I have to say. We wouldn't have said anything if they hadn't done that. They did it twice. Well, Charlie, I've kept you away from uh, everything else there at home uh, long enough. I appreciate your time so much. I, I thank you. you. This has been so fun. I could, well, I could talk all day to everybody, but it's you, especially you and Gabby. Thank you for letting me be part of this. Before we go, uh, where can people find you? Okay. So my socials, as the kids say, yes. you can find me on Insta at Chaz Max and Twitter at C-H-A-Z-M-A-X-X, two X's. That's my Instagram and my Twitter. And then on Facebook at Charlie Max. Uh, I'm on TikTok, but I don't produce content because I'm, y'all can see what I look like. There's not going to be any TikTok content and I don't dance. My son inherited that, uh, honestly. So, uh, there'll be no TikTok content, but I'll follow you. So if you follow me, I'll follow you back. Same thing on, uh, um, Instagram. I love to follow people and see their adventures. This is how we learn about each other. So if you got something exciting, follow me. I'll come follow you back. No, you have a great deal. name for social media handle. Oh, thank you. You got to be is. careful with the X's though. Cause yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> you type it in wrong and it's a whole nother ball game. You're like, this is not Staten Island. <laughs> it's easily misconstrued. I would imagine from yes, some people. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love you, Charlie Max. Thank you so much for doing this. You're one of my favorite people in this whole world. And I'm so glad that we got to finally work together in real life, not just in my head. Um, and then, you know, I am in, in awe of your career. And I believe I said that when you um, decided to lay down your microphone uh, from a professional standpoint at in the building radio station. And I, I mean this with all sincerity that uh, your career is what uh, goals are made of. And, um, you know, I just really am appreciative of your friendship over the years and your professional advice and your support. You've always been so great to me. And I thank you for that, Chris. Okay. I think we'll end it right there before uh, I have to break into tears. <laughs> <laughs> Gabby, I like you too. I don't know you as long, but <laughs> thank, well, thank you. Gabby. I appreciate that after an hour, it's i I'm getting a good review, right? So <laughs> yes, yeah. And you have good bagels. So come on. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I appreciate right. you both. You know, Gab, I think uh, we just found ourselves uh, a, a subject of a future interview here on the podcast. DJ Dylan, I think we had to talk to Dylan. He sounds like uh, he may be somebody that we could get before he becomes famous. What do you think? That sounds like a great idea. We should maybe see if he wants to be one of our first guests to start uh, start next year, start season two. Yeah, why not? Hey, always like to talk to actors, especially actors who haven't quite made it yet, because God knows I wouldn't be able to talk to actors who've already made it. You know, <laughs> they're not going to give me the time of day. <laughs> so, oh, don't say that. You never know. right? Oh, okay. All right. We'll go with that. Charlie's always good. And, and that was a lot of fun. Did you enjoy that too? I did. I really appreciated the fact that she is someone that does a lot of like talent and on air, but she really had that sort of business perspective and sort of moving things into places and finding the way that things mesh together and things like that, I thought was a really interesting perspective that, you know, people who are the talent aren't always thinking about. And 
people who do think like that, who are maybe on the admin side, like don't always consider the things that the talent have to go through and consider and prep, you know, before they do their pieces. So I really love when we talk to people who have like sort of a foot in both sometimes Mm -hmm. um, and to hear the way that they describe it um, and how they put their shows and in this case, uh, radio station together. Yeah, I think that uh, it's important um, if you're going to, of course, Charlie did it this way. She came up from the on-air side of things. She still is on the air, on-air side of things, but she also was in management, in uh, program directing. And I think it's real important because, I, you know, there are program directors out there who have never been on the air. And I don't think that's particularly good place to come from because you just don't get it, you know. And uh, I, I've heard of them, and I actually worked for one or two along the way. So, And then again, I worked for one who wasn't on the air who was really good at not just managing people, but understanding what it's like to be on the air and putting the pieces together too. And I'm, I'm talking about Brian Lopez out in Sacramento. He is a, a shining example of that, at least in my book. Before we get going, you know, you and I always do a great job of really telling our listeners about things that you and I talk about off of the show. And I think we would be remiss not to bring up the thing that we were most recently texting about which was a white Lotus season two. We talked about how cold it was. And then I thought of the fact that these characters are in Sicily and in the first season they were in Hawaii and how much I would love to be in Sicily or Hawaii right now. But I wanted to ask what you think of the first few episodes. We've watched the first two. There is three out right now. But by the time that we come back in two weeks for our next episode, the season will be almost over. Yeah, well, I, you know, as you said, we're only two episodes into the second season of White Lotus as well. Uh, So it's a little early for me to say. Uh, So far, the character development has, in my opinion, not been as strong. But then again, again, it's only two, we're only two episodes in. The first season kind of surprised me because as as we started watching it, I'm thinking, oh, this, you know, this seems like, you know, a Bachelor in Paradise, one of those stupid, uh, I shouldn't say stupid shows. For those of you who like Bachelor in Paradise, I apologize. I'm sure it's a very, very well put together show. It's just not my cup of tea. But I was thinking that's where that was going. And I was very surprised at the uh, the character development there. And so many distinct personalities coming together to tell a story was just, I think, one of the great strengths of this particular series. So I highly recommend it. And uh, but the judge is still out for me, at least anyway, on the second season. And by the way, I think I mentioned to you in one of those texts that the same actress that was in uh, Don't Worry, Darling is in the second season. I was wrong. I misidentified one of the actresses. Uh, And I think you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do. Uh, It made me laugh because you guys started the show before we had a chance to catch up on it. And you sent me that text message and I was like, that's weird. I haven't heard or read that anywhere. And then as soon as I watched the show, I knew exactly who it was that you were talking about. She (laughs) has like the deeper voice and she has the same haircut and the same face structure, but it's not her. It's like a, it's like a, I don't want to say a poor man's version because she's on an (laughs) HBO show. So like, that's definitely not a poor man's version. Right. So Uh, that's right. Well, not only that, but the actress in, uh, and White Lotus is not British. And the one uh, that we're, I confused her with is, and I can't think of her name offhand. Lawrence Pugh. That's it. There you yeah. go. So anyway, now that I've cleared that up, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least with you, no one else knows or cares 
that I misidentified an actress from one thing to another. By the way, uh, Don't Worry Darling is another thing that we should get into at another time. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, definitely check it out. Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I saw it when it first came out that that first week in theaters because I wanted to see what all the hype was about. And my initial re- review to people was, I can't really tell you what it's about because I'm, I'll ruin it for you if I do. But I didn't think it was as bad as everyone said it was. Like people really had it crashing and burning and I just thought it was okay. I don't think it was great, but I also didn't think it was terrible. <laughs> so I don't, I mean, like, I don't know. Sometimes movies can just be okay, right? Like they don't have to be like excellent and they don't have to be terrible. They can just live in the middle. That's a ringing endorsement. And that's what we go for here on the podcast. Just, you know, we go for okay. Uh, you know, nothing terrible, nothing really you know, wonderful. We go for right down the middle. Okay. <laughs> well, Chris Pine and Florence Pugh were awesome. So if you want to watch it for, for the good parts of it, I would say watch it for those two because their performances were A+. plus. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. All right. So is that it for this week? I think so. We, we will be off next week. So we will be back in two weeks. A very happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. Amen. I would say enjoy or don't eat too much, but you know, everybody eats too much on Thanksgiving, right? As they should. I mean, there's so much delicious food. Yeah. And the thing is, here's the thing real quick about Thanksgiving for me anyway. It's an all day thing. It's anticipation. There's all this preparation. There's all this cooking and and all of that. And then finally, everybody sits down to the table and 10 minutes later, you're all done. And it's so quiet in those 10 minutes because people are just eating. Like there's no conversation. Although that's the sign of a good meal, right? Is when people just eat and and it's quiet. So I totally agree. And by the way, I don't like the traditional, what are you thankful for this year? Please don't ask me that. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to eat. (laughs) Uh, So that kind of ruins my plan for our last two episodes. I was going to make you list everything (laughs) that you were thankful for this year. (laughs) It's a short list. And what... (laughs) But it's a good list. All right, Gab. Hey, we'll see you guys hopefully next week. Check in with the Encore. Uh, on. <laughs> okay, Gab. See them in two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. We'll see you in two. We'll see you in two weeks on the Encore podcast. <laughs>